Welcome, this is uh, week number two in our series. We kicked off last week that we're calling Playlist, and we're taking some of these songs that, that you hear on the radio, they're not necessarily Christian songs or anything, but we're really discovering some really spiritual significance behind them. Last week, I shared about a song that really just changed the whole culture and ministry philosophy of our church, uh, the U2 song, One, and if you didn't uh, hear that message, uh, you're probably going like, what are you talking about? Uh, but you can watch it online, the video of that message, uh, is online. And what I want to do uh, this week, second uh, week in the series, is actually come to a much more current song. This is a song that was actually just released in April uh, by John Mayer. You may know John Mayer. Uh, I was a little surprised when I heard it the first time uh, because it was actually on the country radio station. I'm from Georgia. I do that. And uh, I listen to a lot of country. In fact, the staff told me I, uh, my favorite is Willie Nelson. And they're like, you can't do Willie Nelson songs. Like, you know, uh, you, you just can't do that. Even though he was at the uh, Civic Center on Thursday night. Uh, so we're not doing that, but John Mayer on country. And as soon as I heard this, I was like, before we even thought about this series, I was like, I've got to preach a sermon on this, this song uh, because it immediately just reminded me of a number, just huge ideas and, and things throughout scripture. So I want to share that song with you right now. This is John Mayer called In the Blood. of my love will be insane to some degree and what about this feeling that i'm never good enough will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood how much of my father am i destined to become Will I dim the lights inside me just to satisfy someone? Will I let this woman kill me or do away with jealous love? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? I can't feel the love I want. I can't feel the love I need. But it's never gonna come the way I am. Change it if I want it. Can I rise above the flood? Will it wash out in the water? Or is it always in the blood? How much like my brothers do my brothers wanna be? Does a broken home become another broken family? Oh, we be there for each other like nobody ever could. Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? I can't feel the love I want. I can't feel the love I need. But it's never gonna come the way I am. Could I change it if I want it? Out in the water, or is it always in the blood? 
can feel the love I need, but it's never gonna come the way I am. Could I change it if I want it? Can I rise above the flood? Will it wash out in the water? Or is it always in the blood? Oh, oh, oh. that song driving down the road back in April immediately I began to just uh, think about and all these scriptures coming to mind uh, about a topic a subject that I, I dare say you could have been a Christian maybe for a long long time and not be aware of of what we're going to be looking at during our time of study together and that is generational patterns of sin generational patterns of sin or sometimes you may hear it this way generational curses generational curses that are hand down from parents to children generation after generation after generation if you have your valley christian church app you're going to want to open this up because we have so much scripture that we're going to cover tonight because this isn't even like some vague random one place in scripture this is all throughout cover to cover this whole idea of generational patterns of sin that just go on and on and on and that's what immediately i thought of the first time i heard this song by john mayer in the blood and where he says how much of my mother is my mother left in me then goes on and he talks about his father as well and then he talks about his brothers as well and recognizing like you you know what as much as i want to deny it it seems like I'm kind of being like pushed in this direction of just following in the footsteps of those who came before me. And so this whole idea, uh, you've probably heard it said this way before. Our culture has a saying for this really. You know what it is? See if you can finish it with me. The apple doesn't far, fall far from the what? What is that saying? You're just like your mom. You're just like your dad. And most of the time it's not used in a, you're brilliant, you're awesome, you're incredible. Is it? It's like, you got their same issues. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, this is not some new idea or anything like that. In fact, we have to go all the way back to the second book of the Bible is where we're going to start off looking here. But let me, let me give you a little bit more background before we get there. Uh, we're going to jump into Exodus in just a minute. But before we get there is this. This whole idea of breaking family generational patterns. God is all about generations. In fact, think about it. One of the main ways that God identified himself in the Old Testament was what? He called himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So many times, you and I, we think we're living our life out in a phone booth. That, that what we do does, has no, those that came before us, no bearing on us. Those who come after us, no bearing on us. But the reality is God says, I'm the God of three generations. At any given time on planet earth, there's probably about four generations that are alive on planet earth right now. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God says, that's my name. I'm the God of, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let me talk a little bit about my own family for a minute, the Williamson family, all right? Uh, I'm not gonna talk about mom's side of the family, uh, not that they were perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the colorful folks uh, were on dad's side of the family, the Williamson side of the family. To the point that I remember when Susie, my wife Susie was pregnant with our first child, uh, my mother was still alive back there, and at one point, uh, she actually called us in, she said, listen, and she gave us a list of names, Susie was pregnant, and you would think like, these are the names, consider naming the child this. That wasn't the list. The list was, I forbid you to name the child these names. Because she knew what was in my dad's family tree. And there were like five names, and she's like, this name must never again walk the planet. And and, and it's good that you can laugh about it. I know who these people were. And, And I mean, these are notorious, awful, terrible people, just a couple of generations from me. And, and so, for instance, uh, my, my dad's side of the family uh, grew up in Georgia. Uh, they were all moonshiners and bootleggers, uh, very active members in the KKK, high-ranking officials in the KKK. Uh, alcoholism runs rampant in my father's side of the family. My father is the first Williamson male, watch this now, in five generations to live past 52 years old. The lifespan of a Williamson male for the last five generations, 52. I'm gonna be 50 in a couple months. Dad, however, is gonna be 80 at his next birthday. Dad's the first Christian in his family. He received Christ as his savior when he was in college. In fact, my mother prayed with him when he accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Subsequent to that, his mother and his father and his sister and his brother also accepted Christ. His brother died at 41, my uncle, 41. Just just tragic. Not only is alcoholism rampant, suicide. Every single generation of Williamsons, with the exception of my generation right now, every single one, multiple suicides. Mental illness run rampant in the family. One generation after another, after another. We have a whole family tree that's been written up and everything. It's like 400. It's crazy. 400 years, you know, uh, or I'm sorry, 400 pages. It goes back pre-revolution. Crazy. The family history on that side. And, and when I heard this, this song by John Mayer, all of a sudden, I started thinking about all these different scriptures that we're going to look at. Because you know what? There is something about, there's something to be said about who our parents are. We're destined to become who they are. We're destined to walk in those same patterns of sin unless Jesus Christ enters the picture. And that's what happened to my father. And so there's a very different family tree now going into the third generation since my father knelt down and received Christ as his savior. That's the power of Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we need to understand is this. We can choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequences. First thing we need to understand as we start today is we can choose our sin, but we cannot choose the consequences of our sin. If we choose to sin, there it starts an effect, a snowball effect. And here's the thing we're about to discover is this. Those who are hurt the most by my personal sin is my family. It's not me. It's those around me. It's my children and my children's children. And God made this very, very clear. 
very, very clear in the scripture. So we can choose our sin, but we cannot choose the consequences. And then talk about this. I just want you to know, I, I, I don't like to, to preach sin, 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 sin. There's a reason for that. We don't want to become sin conscious people. You know who we want to become? God conscious people. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We talked about that last week. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It's his goodness. We need to focus on Jesus. But for this first point, we need to just realize sin, there is so much more going on when we sin than we actually even realize. Now in your Valley app, go ahead and, and you want to turn to that. Look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. God is speaking here to his people in the Old Testament, nation of Israel, and he's telling them, worship me, you put me first, things are going to go great. But if you turn away from me, this is what's going to happen. Look at what he says. You shall not bow down to them, any other false gods, false idols, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen to what he says punishing the children for the sins of their parents. Wow. Punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And I just want to make it real clear, my own family, the Williamson side were God haters for generations, generations and generations of God haters. Want nothing to do with them. And that's why you look at my family tree, it's just absolutely tragic on that side. Absolutely tragic. And you say this, you look at this on the surface and say, punishing the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation, something inside of us says, that's not fair. That's not fair. But look at the rest of the verse. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. If I could have a little more volume because I'm already straining over the rain. It's really hurt my throat and i barely into the message right now. Thank you. So here he says, he goes, I'm gonna punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation for those who hate me. But for those who love me, a thousand generations I'll bless. Do you really want fair? <laughs> You don't want fair. I, I want that thousand generation blessing. That's what I'm after. And so God says, it's not fair at all, but this is the way it is. And he says this like he does all the time. You choose. The choice is yours. You could choose sin, but here's the thing. You don't choose the consequences. I remember that movie. I was thinking about this, The Patriot. You know, Mel Gibson, and if you know that, that movie is, I love that movie, it's just awesome. But at one point he says this statement, I have long feared that the sins of my youth would be brought, about, brought to bear upon my children. He got it. He understood it. Showing love to a thousand generations, but to those who sin, I'll punish, I'll bring the punishment of their sin on their children and their children's children. See, here's the thing about sin that, that, that no one tells you this when you're being tempted, but I'm gonna tell you it right now for the next time that you're tempted. Sin always promises more than it gives. Sin always promises more than it gives. It always takes you further than you wanna go. It always costs you more than you can afford, and it always leaves you worse off than you were before. That's the truth about sin doesn't tell you that on the front end. But the reality is when I sin, not only am I affected, 
My family is affected. And that's what God is saying. This whole idea that our culture says, it's my life. I can do with it what I want to. Yeah, but you know what? One day you're going to have kids. And they're going to pay the price because of the choices that you made. Because sin always promises more than it gives. It always takes you where you don't want to go. It always costs you more than you can afford. And it always leaves you worse off than you were before. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you for a minute. So God says, if you hate me, if you turn from me and you worship other things and other idols, he says, I'll visit, I'll punish those sins to the second and the third generation. But if you love me, I will bring my blessings for a thousand generations. This whole idea of sin promises more than it gives, further than you want to go, costs more than you can afford, leaves you worse than before. See, sin on the front end says, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's just an acorn. That's right. It's nothing. I mean, you're not hurting anybody. Look, that's all that it is. But God knows, no, that's not all that there is. That in every sin, there's a seed. And in every sin, there's a seed and that seed grows. And God says, it will not only grow in your life, just that seed, this plant, it will grow in the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And then it will look like this. That's what's in this seed. That's what's in this seed. Just a simple acorn. And that's why God says, when we read the Bible and we say, don't do this, thou shalt not blank, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. All those things just was like, ah, that's just not, that's, I'm not hurting anyone. And God's saying, this is what that grows up and looks like. Sin always promises more than it gives. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always costs you more than it can, you can afford. And sin always leaves you worse off than you were before. I'm not hurting anyone. God says, no, you're causing so much pain to so many people. And I want so much more for you. I have so much better for you. It's not this. We see this. God sees that. And he wants to spare us from this. That's God's love that's the goodness of God that leads men to turn from their sin and to repent. Because here's the thing, you can choose your sin, but you can't choose the consequences. Every sin has a consequence tied into it. I can't tell you, it would be inappropriate for me to go into detail, but I'm just gonna ask you to trust me. 27 years being a pastor, 27 years, the story after story after story of the consequences that I've had to, with God's grace, just walk with people, walk through because of things they did years ahead, things that their parents did generations beforehand. Sin always takes you further than you're willing to go. Sin always costs you more than you can afford. Sin always promises more than it gives and leaves you worse off than you were before. I remember a number of years ago, a woman came to me and she said, I don't even know where to start. 
Susie and I were talking. We were there. She was talking to us. She said, when my husband and I got married, I was a virgin. She said, I've never slept with anyone besides my husband. I went to the doctor last week and I have venereal disease. How does that happen? Tell me how that happens. I've never been with anyone besides him. Then I had to talk to him. And he put his head down. And he said it was just that one business trip in Las Vegas. I didn't think it would make any difference. And I said, sir, it makes a big difference. Your wife now is suffering. Venereal disease. Sin always costs you more than you can afford. Sin always promises more than it can actually deliver, than it can actually give. Sin always takes you further than you're willing to go. Sin always leaves you worse off than you were before. I watched that marriage completely disintegrate in a matter of months. She's remarried, he's remarried, and I cannot tell you they live happily ever after. He thought, it's my body. I can do whatever I want to with it. Not hurting anyone. I'm not hurting anyone. We can choose our sin, but we cannot choose the consequences of our sin. This is, statistic, this is proven that sociologists, there's all kinds of studies, it's crazy. Let me share with you one of these studies just of how generational patterns, one right after the other, generation after generation after generation, you can see these patterns of sin. Just, just one example. Leonard Ravenhill demonstrated this principle in a book that he wrote called Sodom Had No Bible. And he talks about evangelist Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, who lived from 1703 to 1738, wrote one of the most famous sermons in the history of Christianity and in the history of America, especially. It's a literary classic that is still studied in public schools as a literary classic in the 1700s. The sermon he wrote called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was a righteous man, a Puritan, a minister. At the same time, there was a contemporary, an atheist that lived the exact same time that Jonathan Edwards did, named Max Jukes. A devout atheist said, there is no God, you know, we can do whatever we want to. It's interesting to, to contrast their descendants. Max Jukes lived an ungodly life. He married a woman that was not a Christian. Of his ancestors, 310 died in poverty. 150 were convicted criminals. Seven were convicted murderers. 100 were alcoholics. More than half the women of his family for the next few generations ended up going into prostitution. This atheist, Max Jukes, of his 540 descendants, they cost the state, uh, the, the United States of America, one quarter million dollars in federal money because of their lifestyle. One quarter, one and one quarter million dollars because of their lifestyle and because of their choices. That's atheist Max Jukes. Contrast that with Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan pastor. He lived at the same time of Jukes, but he married a Christian. And of his 1,394 descendants, 100 became preachers and missionaries. 13 became college presidents. 65 became college professors. 
Three became United States senators. 30 became judges. 100 became attorneys. 60 became physicians. 75 became army and navy officers. 60 became authors of prominence. One became the vice president of the United States. 80 became public officials in other capacities. 295 were college graduates. Some were governors of states. His descendants cost the United States nothing. Two men alive at the same time. One chooses, I'm going to love God and walk in his ways. The other chooses, I don't believe in God. I'm going to do what I want. And you can see it just go down the family tree. Just like God said. Just like God said. Before we start to blame our parents, (laughs) I think there's a verse we need to look at. Proverbs 26.2 puts it this way. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. In other words, it doesn't matter what our parents did if we walk in the way of God. But when we decide I won't, then all of that comes down the family tree. A curse causeless, one translation says, can find no place to land. If we walk in righteousness, if we walk in the way that God wants us to, this will have no bearing on our life. But when we willfully choose, we can choose our sin, but we don't choose the consequence. When we willfully sin, in that moment, here comes everything down the Williamson family tree headed for Greg. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting shallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. It can't fall on anyone. So here's the second point that we need to understand. We can't blame our parents. Here's the second thing. We can choose to identify with God's family or our family of origin. The choice is ours. Which family are we going to identify with? It's interesting. When when Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and told her that that she was going to bear a child, she was highly favored among all women and, and, and told the plan that God had, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and you'll give birth and, and he'll be the son of God. And then she launches out into what is called the Magnificat, this song. Listen to what Mary says. Listen to the insight that Mary understands. Even some scholars believe 12, 13-year-old girl. She says in Luke 1:50, speaking of God, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Just as there is a snowball effect of sin from generation to generation, there is a snowball effect of God's mercy from generation to generation. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I am the recipient of my father at 18 years old when I was a glint in his eye, bowing his knee to Jesus Christ and saying, God, I'm asking Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm the recipient of that. My children, his grandchildren are the recipient of that. This is what John Mayer was saying. How much of my mother is my mother inside of me? How much of my father am I destined to be? Is a a broken uh, home mean a broken family? How much do my sons really want to be there for each other? My brothers want to be there for each other. He's asking these questions and it's pretty interesting. John Mayer's whole, that album is called The Search for Everything. He's searching. He's searching. We can choose to identify with God's family or our family of origin. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, it's pretty interesting. At one point, Jesus uh, is uh, in a home and, and the people come inside. They, the disciples come inside 
And so the folks outside, he's there with the disciples and they say, hey, Jesus, uh, you got to stop what you're doing. Uh, go outside because your mother and your brothers are out there. And Jesus says this crazy statement. Look at what he says. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Mary is standing outside the house and Jesus is saying, you wanna know who my family is? My family are those that do the will of my heavenly father. That's who's in the family of God. And he points and he looks at the disciples, he goes, whoever does the will of my father. See, being a Christian is not, I'm forgiven and I live like the devil. That's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. Being a Christian means Jesus gave it all. I'm living for him to do his will, to live, to do the will of my heavenly father. Jesus says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Galatians chapter three, maybe, this, maybe you've heard this before. I think you'll understand it a little bit better because just like I said, with every sin, there's a consequence, there's a curse with every sin. Every single one, from lying to murder, whatever it is, there's a curse in every sin. There's a seed to a greater tree in every time we sin. Look at what Galatians says. This is what Jesus has done for us. Galatians 3.13, but Christ has rescued us from what? The curse pronounced by the law. It's referring back to this very curse in Exodus. There's a curse in our disobedience. There's a curse when we sin. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Not only did he take the sin, think about this, not only did he take this, he took the whole oak tree. He took the curse. He took it all upon himself. He became a curse. He didn't just bear our sins. He became the curse of sin. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Have you ever wondered why Jesus wasn't beheaded? Have you ever wondered why he, was, he didn't die when he was flogged, when he was whipped? Because the Old Testament says, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. And God wanted to make it very clear, he became a curse for us. He paid the price for the curse of sin. Powerful. And so really the reality is this, when, when John, uh, John Mayer says, is it in the blood? Is it only in the water or is it in blood? The truth is, it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we can overcome generational patterns. And it's only through the power of Jesus Christ that we can overcome generational patterns. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Maybe this helps to connect as well. Revelation 12, 11 is talking about the last days, the last moments before Christ returns. And it talks about those who are faithful to Jesus Christ. And look at what it says. They triumphed over him. That is Satan and all the evil. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It's like that old hymn of the church. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the lamb. His blood wipes away the curse. 
But if we don't apply that to our lives and if we choose to walk in sin instead of walking in the way of God, it all comes down. So many times, it's absolutely heartbreaking as a pastor to see how many times this affects willful decision on the part of Christians to sin. Sin always costs you more than you can afford. It always promises you more than it can deliver. It always leaves you worse than you were before. It always takes you further than you want to go. This is why in the New Testament in Titus, look at how clear the scripture makes this as followers of Jesus Christ. For the grace of God has appeared. Why has God's grace appeared? That offers salvation to all people. It's an offer. We have to accept it. Listen now what it says. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. To say no to worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's the whole reason he came, was to bring us freedom and the power that we can say no to temptation. Not because he wants to rob us of our joy, because he wants to keep the pain of sin from our lives. That's why. That's why. And so grace came, why? It teaches us to say no. One of the ways you know you're growing as a Christian is that you say no to temptation. I, I've talked to too many Christians like, there's no way anyone can resist this temptation. Really? This is the 21st century. Really? So the power of God is not enough to keep you walking in purity and holiness. Is that what you're saying? The one who holds the world together with his, with his word cannot give you the ability to resist temptation. You just got to throw out the Bible. You can't even read it. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, not in the sweet by and by, in the right here and now, today. That's what God's grace is for. It goes on and says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we understand everything that is said right there is for today, it's not for sometime later on. This is not for eternity. This is for right here, right now. God's grace to say no to worldly passions, to be self-controlled, to say no in the face of temptation. That's why Jesus, one of the reasons why Jesus died for us, died for you and died for me. Here's the third point that's so important. This idea of generational patterns of sin we can break generational patterns and walk in generational blessing. And that's what I wanna challenge you with today. We can break these generational patterns and we can begin to walk in generational blessings. We're not a victim to what our parents or our grandparents did before us. We can start afresh and anew. We can break these generational patterns and walk in generational blessings. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse nine says, only be careful 
Watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen and let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. This is the responsibility we have as parents, as grandparents. It's not that we did it perfectly, but to teach our children and our children's children how to walk in the ways of God. What loving parent wouldn't do that? What loving grandparent would say, I don't want to do that, and I want to see my children and children's children suffer? This, this is all the way back in the Old Testament. God saying, this is what I expect of my people. You don't have to walk in these patterns of sin any longer. I, I know in the time that we have today, can only kind of scratch the surface on this subject. I, I, I do want to make mention of this, though, because I just was able to pin this down this week. Coming up in October at our Conexus conference, October 16th through 18th, a good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Joe Matera, actually he's a bishop, uh, he's gonna be speaking on Monday night, wrote a phenomenal book called Walking in Generational Blessings. He's gonna be the keynote speaker on Monday night. It's not gonna be recorded, you gotta come. <laughs> I says, you, you gotta come and you can get a copy of his book too. Phenomenal insight into scripture about how we can walk in generational blessing. Scripture after scripture after scripture. That's what God wants for us. God wants your family tree to look like Jonathan Edwards' family tree. God wants my family tree to look like that too, to pass it on because the inheritance that I've received from my parents is not nearly as important from God's point of view for Greg as the legacy I leave to my children and my children's children. A godly legacy. And so I was just able to confirm that Joe is gonna be able to come on that Monday night. Listen, interesting. I know a lot of this that we've looked at is Old Testament. Let me show you something New Testament that you're gonna be like, what? I had no idea. Look at this in the New Testament. In, in the book of John chapter nine, beginning in verse one, it says that Jesus was walking along. He saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked. Now this is the disciples. These aren't the Sadducees. These aren't the, the, the Pharisees. This, these are his followers, his disciples. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Listen to the next question. Was it because of his own sins or the sins of his parents? They understood exactly what we're talking about. They're like, is this something he did or is this rolling down the family tree because of something they did? This is a common understanding in the Bible. So common. But Jesus brings hope in the middle of the situation. Look at what it says. It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. You can go on and read the rest of the story and I have all kinds of additional and supporting notes on the app. After you're filling the blank there, you can go and look up all this stuff because there's so much in the Bible, I can't even scratch the surface in one message. That's why Joe Matera wrote an entire book about it, Walking in Family Blessing. Jesus spits on the ground, he makes mud, he puts it in the guy's eyes and he goes, go and bathe in that pool. He goes there, he goes like this and he can see. He's, he's, he can see for the first time in his life. Man born blind. The disciples asked him, they said, was this because of his sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus is like, guys, 
I got this. I got this. You thought, but Jesus, he's blind. You know, was it his doing or his family? He's like, guys, that's why I came. Because it doesn't matter if it was his sins. It doesn't matter if it was his parents' sins. I'm more powerful. I'm greater than all of that. That's why I'm here. And he demonstrates it by healing the man. And he can see. And so I know in a, in a message like this, it is all too easy because we all have families. And we all have that elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about. We all have some strange stuff that kind of like when it's brought up, everyone's like, shh, shh, shh. no, 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 we're not talking, we're not going there. We all do. And I believe with everything in me, Jesus right now in this moment is like, guys, I got this. Guys, I'm stronger than all that. I'm more powerful than all that. I came to bring you freedom, but not freedom so that you then go running right back into sin again. I came to bring you freedom. I became a curse for you so that you would be forgiven and walk in freedom to live and walk in the way God wants you to walk, not to go running back into it again. He's bigger. He's greater. He's stronger. Was it their sin? Was it his sin? I'm a lot bigger than all that. Last verse I want to look at. The Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, God speaks to him and through him. And he talks about the one who will come, the Messiah. That day when the Lord's anointed comes, speaking of Jesus. And it's so interesting. Listen to what he says will be the result of Christ's coming. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 29. When that time comes, the time of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, people will no longer say, this was a very common quote and parable that people would say in that time. The parents ate sour grapes, but the children got the sour taste. That's how commonly understood this is in the Bible. The parents ate sour grapes. In other words, the parents did something wrong and the kids had to pay for it. When Jesus comes, Jeremiah is saying, God speaking, when the Messiah, the promised one comes, the anointed one comes, he'll change all that. He'll change all that for those who walk in his way. Incredible hope. Incredible hope. That's what God's grace is all about. Breaking the chain of the past. Breaking the power, breaking the curse. I remember years ago talking to a fellow and he's like, even on this subject, and he's like, Greg, you have no idea what my life's been like. <laughs> you have no idea the stuff I've done in my life. He wasn't talking about stuff done to him. He was saying things he did. And he goes, what do I even do? Okay, God forgave me, but you're saying these consequences are coming. I said, here's what you do. You know that seed of sin? <laughs> There's a harvest is coming. 
God never says, there's nothing in the Bible that ever says God will deliver us from the consequences of sin. It's nowhere in there. He'll forgive us for the sin. The consequences, we still have to walk out. When David sinned with Bathsheba, the prophet came in and said, the sword will never depart from your house. And he watched son kill son, son rape daughter, murdered, all visited upon his kids. There's nowhere in the Bible that says God delivers us from the consequences. What do we do? Seed works both ways. Seed of sin, there's a harvest coming, consequences. Then you plant seeds of righteousness. You plant seeds of godliness. You plant seeds of obedience to God. And you watch that good, righteous harvest overtake the bad harvest. 20 years ago, that man sat in my office and he said, you don't know the stuff I've done, man. I, I, I can't even tell you. He's a friend to this day. It has been a shock in my life to watch how God has blessed that man over and over and over again because he decided, I am gonna start planting seeds of godliness. I'm gonna walk in obedience to God. I'm gonna walk in God's way. Doesn't mean his life's been perfect, far from it. Doesn't mean he hasn't faced incredible challenges and difficulties, far from it. But it is shocking to watch front row seat the God's blessing in his life. And he was, if he was standing right here, right now, that's exactly what he'd tell you. Start sowing good seeds and let that godly harvest of doing it the way God wants you, walking in righteousness, let that overtake that bitter harvest. When Jesus comes, when that time, when the time will come, people will no longer say their parents ate sour grapes, but the children got the sour taste. So here's what I want to do. I want to end a little bit differently today. I want to share with you a prayer and it's in your app. So if you have your app, make sure you open that up because I knew you're going to want to take this with you and pray this many times in the future. So this is what it's all about here at Valley Christian Church, giving you tools to live the life that God wants you to live. And so right here on the app, if you'll go to the bottom, you'll see a prayer. I didn't write this prayer. I found this prayer. I tweaked it a little bit, but it's just excellent. In response to what we have looked at, this whole idea of generational patterns of sin, generational curse. We're gonna put it up on the screen right now, this prayer. And look at what it says. I just wanna read it right now. Heavenly Father, I ask you to break all harmful and sinful generational patterns in my family and in my life. I choose to forgive my parents and my ancestors, releasing any feelings of bitterness or resentment for the consequences their sin has had on me. Forgive me too for giving into temptation and yielding in the same kind of sin. See, that's what brings it into the life. It's not just what my parents, it's when I choose to follow in it. That's when it all happens. So it's very important. Forgive me too for giving into temptation and yielding in the same kinds of sin. I choose to identify with your spiritual family. Jesus said, who, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Those who do the will of my father. Those who do the will of my father. I choose to identify with your spiritual family and with you, my perfect heavenly father. Thank you for freedom. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Now here's what I wanna do. I would like to pray this prayer right now with anyone here that wants to pray this prayer right where you are. I think every one of us probably wants to pray this prayer right now. And so I just wanna, together, we're just gonna pray this like, you know, old school. Let's just put it back on. Yeah, we need it back on. They're gonna need to read that. There we go. All right, there it is. Uh, and, and I just wanna, let's pray this together right now. If you've never prayed a prayer like this, 
This is so powerful. And I think over the next few months, weeks, months, years, you know, it can get awkward. But when you're around some of your family, have some of these discussions. What's, what's, What's in the tree? What's coming on down? And when you hear about it, pull out that Valley app. That's why I put it in there. And you pray that prayer. God's gonna give the grace. He became a curse for us. But if we never apply this in our lives, guess what? It's just like having a big, huge, beautiful box wrapped on Christmas morning. If you never open it, it never helps you. You're never blessed. You never benefited from it. Jesus became a curse, the Bible says. He took the curse of the law upon him. So this doesn't have to continue to come down in our lives. Listen. Most vivid example of this is my family. Hey, y'all, my two generations, I mean, entrenched in the KKK. Entrenched officers. And I stood in this church in 1994 and said, it's wrong that we're an all white church. And I got down on my knees and I repented in front of this church. I said, this is a sin before God. Jesus came for every single color, every single race, every ethnicity. And we are an incomplete expression of the body of Christ as an all white church. Today, Valley Christian Church, best we can figure, 45% white. 45% white. Only God could do that. My ancestors were slave owners in the South. God can break the chain. God can turn it around. God can reverse the curse. Only he can do it though. Only he can do it. I wanna lead you in this prayer right now because it doesn't matter what mom, dad, uncle Henry or, or grandpa, whatever did. It can change with you. You be the generation that says no longer are we gonna walk in those sinful patterns of our ancestors. We're gonna walk in the way of God. So let's just pray this prayer right now and then I wanna pray as we finish this prayer when we say amen. So just join with me. If if you wanna do this, just open your heart right now to the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask you to break all harmful and sinful generational patterns in my family and in my life. I choose to forgive my parents and my ancestors, releasing any feelings of bitterness or resentment for the consequences their sin has had on me. Forgive me too, forgiving into temptation and yielding in the same kind of sins. I choose to identify with your spiritual family and with you, my perfect heavenly father. Thank you for freedom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Heavenly Father, hear our prayer, Lord. Hear our prayer, Lord. For so many of us, Lord, this is a new concept, but Lord, clearly this is nothing new in your word. Father, we're becoming aware right now that not only is there sin, but there's a curse, there's a consequence that comes with every sin. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you poured out 
upon us because of Jesus' sacrifice, that he became the curse for the law. He, he, he took that curse, not just the sin. And Father, when we walk in righteousness, we will be blessed. And you said, even to a thousand generations for those who love you. And so Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. And God, I pray even right now at this moment, Lord, that family trees are changing from this day forward because of the power of Jesus Christ as he came and lived a perfect life and laid down his life for each and every one of us and rose again from the dead, paying in full, not only the price for our sins, but also taking the curse as well. That no longer, Father, do parents drink sour grapes and children say, we've tasted the sourness in our mouth, that that would be broken in Jesus' name. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here, and maybe a first-time guest, or maybe you've been here for a while, and you've never, you've never taken that step of placing your life, your faith in the hands of Jesus Christ. He did all this that we talked about today for you. That's how much he loves you. And so you may be saying, well, how do I, how do, I do that, Greg? Well, the Bible makes it clear. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if, if you've never prayed and opened up your heart and just asked Jesus to come into your life and accepted, received his free gift of forgiveness that he purchased through his perfect life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And, and really this prayer is, it doesn't mean anything unless you open your heart. And I just encourage you to open your heart to him right now place your life and your trust in his hands if you've never prayed that prayer before just repeat after me right now heavenly father i receive jesus christ as my savior i turn from my sin jesus forgive me thank you for your sacrifice i ask you now lead me guide me direct me from this day forward, I choose to walk in God's will for my life from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.